What's up, everybody? This is William, your host. I want to take just a second to thank each and everybody that is listening to this episode and all the other episodes that I've had up to this point. Anybody that's liked or shared content, I do appreciate it. I just want everybody to know that. So today's episode, a lot of the younger listeners are going to say, oh my God, it's an old man or an old woman episode because they're talking about something that's going to Take 40 years of working, and then here we go, retirement. Listen, it doesn't matter if you're 16 or 61. It's never too early. It's never too late to plan for retirement. And, you know, the craziest thing of all is as a 51-year-old, and I have retirement factors in place, but after talking to James, you know, my thought of not having nearly enough was was reinforced in concrete uh, so I know that I need to make some changes and do some things a little differently to prepare myself for the one day that hey if the Lord sees fit for me to live long enough to actually retire I want to be able to actually retire and enjoy uh, you know these last few years I have on this earth uh, comfortably from a financial standpoint especially so um, guys don't say this is this is for old folks uh, talking about retirement from their job after 40 years. Listen up to what me and my guests today talk about because it's some really good information. It's really useful information. And, you know, you never know. Uh, 30 years from now might come in real handy if you follow some of the tips that he shares. Uh, my guest today, Mr. James Cannoli uh, from Root Financial. Uh, he and I sat down and we had a delightful conversation and he really educated me on some stuff that I specifically need to do to uh, prepare myself for any type of opportunity that to actually retire. So uh, after the break, guys, ready for retirement? Think again with my guest, James Cannoli. Hey guys, quick shout out to Timothy O. Davis of Ridgewood Recording Studios. His studio offers a full line of music production ranging from song demos and singles to fully produced albums. He focuses on excellence at every level of the recording and production process and will work with you for your project specific needs. So remember guys, Timothy O. Davis, reach out to him at timothydavis.org front slash Ridgewood Studios. All right, guys, we're back from the break, and as promised, my guest today, Mr. James Canole, uh, based out of San Diego, so I have to thank him right up front for taking a very, very uh, needed conversation between he and I very early in the morning for him. So, uh, James, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. No better way to start start a morning. James, I'll tell Thanks you what, let's, uh, before we get into the, to the meat and potatoes of our conversation about retirement and preparation for that... Tell everybody a little bit about you, um, you know, your company, your a little bit of your story, and uh, so they can kind of get a snapshot of who you are. Yeah, thanks, William. I'm the James Canole, founder of a company called Root Financial Partners. So I'm a certified financial planner. I help people who are approaching retirement retire, retire comfortably and be confident in that decision. And in my background, how I got into this is I've always been a numbers guy and a math guy and uh 
that critical thinking problem solver type and studied finance in college, but didn't know what avenue of finance I wanted to go to. You know, finance is so broad and it's, it's kind of this overwhelming just thing. You know, do you go to corporate finance? Do you do uh, personal finance? Do you do banking? Do you do insurance? Uh, and in that, in that pursuit, I interned with a financial planning company and this financial planning company, what I found was I can use this skill set I have, I can use numbers and finance as a means to an end, not just something I'm good at, but how do I take finance? How do I apply that and help people retire comfortably, help people send kids to college, help people save for that home, you know, fill in that blank. So 10 years ago, fell in love with this and said, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. So got into the industry, uh, worked with a financial planning company for about six and a half years, and then three and a half years ago, went and started my own. So now uh, founder of Root Financial Partners and also have a podcast called Ready for Retirement, where we just share the tips and strategies we use with clients to say, how can you create a more secure retirement and just try to share that message with the world. Okay, for my listeners, he said 10 years ago. Now, he claims he's 31 years old. I'm sitting there looking at the guy. He looks like he's about 21 years old. So that means when he was a pre-adolescent, he decided he wanted to get into finance. So, um, all right. So let's, let's, Seven years old. I knew what I wanted. Yeah. <laughs> let's jump right into it, okay? couple couple questions we need to address, and I believe when you get through with uh, addressing them, I think everybody that listens to the show today will have a better understanding of what they need to do. So first of all, you were talking about um, the creation of meaningful retirement. That's what we were talking about. So how do how do I know? Like, how does the individual know how much it's actually going to cost? You know, this person, that individual, to retire. Like, what? How do they assess the cost? Yeah, and, and that's that's a daunting question, and it's a question that people don't even know where to begin to answer. So I try to simplify it for people. I say, uh, first of all. It depends. You know, are you going to retire and be the person that travels all around the world and stays at five-star hotels and does all these fancy things? Or are you going to be the person that says, you know what, I want to retire, but I just want to spend time with family or volunteer or just kind of live more low-key, but live a very fulfilling life? So obviously those two answers or those two kind of final outcomes are going to have very different answers in terms of how much is it going to cost to do that. But what I recommend people do is just first ask the question, what do you want retirement to look like? What are the things you want to do? And that's just for the sake of this assume that you just want to maintain your current lifestyle. Just, I don't want to do anything extra fancy. I don't want to do anything that I'm not doing today. I just want to have a passive income that can support me instead of having a salary for my work that supports me. So the first thing that you want to look at is just what does it cost today? And, and, and people might say, oh gosh, well, I make X number of dollars per year. Well, sure. But, but once maybe some 401k contributions are taken out or deductions are taken out or whatever's taken out, look at what's the actual amount that hits your bank account. It's not going to be the same number that your gross income is. You know, after all the deductions, what you're trying to replace is that number that's coming into your bank account each month. And what you need to do is you need to say, okay, if you can live comfortably on that amount, um, is there anything that would change in retirement? You know, is there a mortgage that maybe is going to pay off, be paid off? Great. You can remove that from the net number that you need to live on. Are you supporting kids or parents? And that at some point will go away. Great. You can remove that from the net number that, that you can live on. So I think it starts with understanding what does it cost to live today, which is a good exercise just for everyone to go through. And I, I've got some budget templates that would be helpful, William, that, that we can pass along to people. But just a simple way of approaching it is how much do you need coming in today to support lifestyle? And will that number change when you retire? Um, if so, 
either remove some of those expenses like mortgage or like support for family or whatever it might be, or add in additional expenses if you do want to take more trips or if there are other things that you want to do above and beyond what you want to do today. So I don't know if that answers your question. That's very general. I'm happy to get more specific, but does that answer your question? That's pretty, that's pretty good. Uh, so what you're saying is don't rely on the Powerball. Don't rely on the Powerball. And, and that's, it's, uh, it's interesting because people come to me and everyone's like, oh, how much do I have to have to retire? And we, we almost act as if there's this number that we need to hit. And mm -hmm. that number is different for everyone. And there's not some magic number. And, and what I find is people don't need some magical lump sum of money to retire. They need a plan. And that plan needs to say, okay, when you do retire, what do you want life to look like? And then what income sources are you going to have to meet those expenses? Is it social security? Is it a pension? Are you downsizing your home and living on equity from that? Have you been saving to a 401k? Um, are there other savings or investments that you have on the side? So really it's as simple as understanding what are the required expenses that you're going to have to live what to you is a fulfilling and meaningful and, and, and comfortable retirement. And then how do you understand what income sources you're going to have to cre create the income needed to live on those expenses? Okay. So for my listeners, note, do not buy Powerball tickets. That is not an investment. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good general financial strategy. All right. So we were talking about um, the creation, the process. So how, how would I ensure that I was creating what, would, what you call, what you refer to as a meaningful retirement? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, I think that's the key question is so many times people focus on retirement as a financial decision. Of do I have enough? Do I have the financial means of supporting myself? And, and absolutely, that needs to be kind of that standard baseline. If you're going to do this, you need to make sure that you can afford it. Um, but the secondary question, and equally important, is what does that meaningful retirement look like for you? So many people work their whole lives; they retire because it's what we're supposed to do, and then they hate it and they're miserable, and they say, "This this isn't what I thought it would be." You know, I can only play golf so much. I can only do this so much before. I'm bored and, and need something else to do. So finding what's meaningful to you is really a question that should be thought through well before retirement. You know, ideally that's something that you are working through and understanding along the way, but you need to understand that. And for some people, they would love to retire and volunteer more. Other people want to retire and be grandparents and spend more time with the grandchildren or with their family. Other people, there's certain trips they want to take or things they want to do or ways of giving back. So I think that, on top of understanding the first question, which is, do you have enough money to make this happen? Can you retire and not outlive your income? The second question is, what does a meaningful retirement look like for you? Why are you retiring? What is it that you want to retire into, not just what do you want to retire from? Okay. Uh, let's some quick scenarios. Let's see. Let's see what you uh, three things. Three things that would be essential in your in your uh, opinion. Uh, these different groups. If let's say um, let's say somebody mid forties uh, got, I don't know. Let's say they got a uh, ten years worth of uh, of four hundred one k at this point, and uh, you know they're planning on retiring at sixty five years old. Let's say, what's three essentials that somebody in their mid forties with Ten years worth of of four hundred one k already sitting there, you know it, that they're contributing to. I'm I'm going to naturally assume that the company they work they're working for 
is match at least matching those contributions. So what what are they looking at? Three essentials that they would need to do to uh, to make the process smoother to actually make retirement at sixty five um, comfortable. Let's use the term comfortable. Yeah. Well, they're doing the four hundred one k, which is which is great already. Uh, getting going back to the the comment earlier, understanding what does it cost, what what does the budget look like? You know, if, if you were to retire, the question becomes, what are the expenses that need to be met without having a paycheck coming in to meet them? So, getting everyone should understand what their basic expenses are, which which I know can be overwhelming because there's gosh, there's mortgage and there's food and there's kids and there's these one off expenses like that. You don't have to be perfect. It never has to be perfect. But step number one, wherever you are, is understanding what is your monthly budget needed to do everything that you want to do. So what does that cost? And let's let's just use a round number. Say, okay, it's uh, my monthly budget is $7,000 per month to pay the mortgage, to pay for food, to pay for whatever, and I'm 40 years old. Well, what you're essentially trying to do is, as a 40-year-old, you're going to say, in this budget, let's assume that $2,000 of theirs is mortgage, of that $7,000 budget. Well, let's also assume that you're on track to have your mortgage paid off by the time that you're 65. Really, what you need to do is you only need to replace $5,000 of income when you're no longer working. So if I'm 45 and I'm looking to retire at 65, I need to generate $5,000 per month of income. Let's assume Social Security is going to cover half of that. Just make, make an assumption here. Okay, so if I need $5,000 per month, and now it's really only $2,500 per month that I need to create on my own. Because I know Social Security is going to cover half of that. I need to cover the remaining $2,500. So then what I can do is I can look at my 401k and say, am I on track to have this asset, to have this investment account, be at a sizable amount that it can generate $2,500 per month for me at age 65? So that this combined with Social Security is going to be enough for me to meet all of my needs for the rest of my life. So number one, I would say is budget. Because you're, that's kind of the lifeblood of everything else, your cash flow, income coming in, money going out, understanding what that looks like. Number two, if you're a 45-year-old, I would say making sure your 401k is invested the right way because you have enough time there. You have 20 years on your side where, yes, it's important that you're making those contributions, but the most powerful thing about that 401k is the work it's going to do for you is the growth it's going to do for you. So when you start to look at compounding interest and say, wow, what, what, what can this account do for me if it grows by 6%, 8%, 10%, whatever it is per year, what you start to see is the growth on your money is significantly more than your contributions into that account. So making sure that your 401k is set up the best way possible so that it's working as hard for you as it can over the next 20 years is going to be crucial because if you can grow that more, that's just more income it can create for you at 65. Then on top of that, I would say that this, so that's number two is making sure that your 401k is positioned the right way. Three is just making sure that you're, you're balancing long-term and short-term priorities. You know, some people, they don't save nearly enough for retirement. Everything is to, to pay for today and to go for today. And sometimes that's just the reality of life. You're raising a family, you're working, you've got expenses and you're covering the needs today, but you're neglecting the long-term. Other people, believe it or not, they're they're deferring everything today. They're putting everything away for the long term because it's what they were always told they needed to do. I need to save, 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 save. And they're living almost, I don't want to say miserly because that can be harsh. And if that's their decision, then, then sure, that's their decision. But they're really not allowing themselves to do the things they want to do today because they're saving so much for the future. And then they end up having more money than they could ever know what to do with, which is a good problem to have. But it's there's a trade-off for that. You're missing out on some things that you could be doing along the way. 
So number one, I would say is have that budget in order. That's going to serve you well wherever you are in your financial journey. Number two is make sure that your investments are working as hard for you as they possibly can inside your 401k, to use your example, William. And then number three is just making sure that you're ha- you have that balance in your financial plan. Are you putting enough away for retirement? And people say anywhere in the range of 10 to 15% per year is a good rule of thumb for that. But are you also not putting so much away that you are missing out on some things you can do today with family or with friends or just with lifestyle? Within that answer, you sparked another question as I listened to you explain that. Um, from a age range, like your your clientele, what's what's like the their, their age ranges? I mean, what's on the on the younger end of people that you deal with and the older end? Like, what what kind of range are we talking about? Do you deal with all age, all all the different most age groups? Most of my clients are fifty and over. I would say probably even fifty five and over, okay. because a lot of people are coming to me where they've said. We've done the 401ks, we've done the investing, we've got the savings, we, we've pensions or rental property, whatever it is. We have this stuff in our whole lives. We've just been growing and growing and saving. And and now we want to maybe not retire today, but we, we know we need to plan for retirement. And so how do we turn the stuff that we've accumulated into an income stream that we're not going to outlive? How do we turn this into peace of mind of knowing that our stuff can now work for us as opposed to us just putting putting more money into it. So a lot of times for people, you, we just go through life almost on autopilot. Okay, I'm saving to my 401k, I'm saving to my investments, I'm doing what I need to do. And then we wake up one day and say, oh my gosh, like I, I'm going to need to live on this at some point. Yeah. And, and I need a plan to see how do I coordinate this with social security and what about Medicare and what about long-term care and, and what about all these things and taxes. Um, it's more than just a rule of thumb that you want to follow when you retire. You need a strategy or a plan that helps you to do that. So, sorry, it's a long-winded way of saying a lot of the people that are 50, 55 and older are, are kind of getting near that point where they're saying, yeah, this is what I need. It's not just hypothetical for me anymore. It's, it's, it's soon. It's coming up. Yeah, they wake up one morning 50 years old and realize they're going to work another 30 years to get where they actually thought they would be when they were 30. Right. You know, they, they thought by the time they were 50, they'd be set, but now they're not. Uh, the younger generation, what, what would be your best advice to, to, the, uh, to the under 40 crew? Let's say, oh, you said you're 31, so let's say 35 and younger. What would be your yeah. best advice you could give them about preparation? So I, I mentioned uh, just kind of an offhand comment about how powerful compounding is. And compounding is simply your money working for you. And I'll use an example sometimes with people. I'll say, would would you rather have a million dollars in cash or one penny that doubles every day for a month? And you look at that and say, okay, well, I'm taking a million dollars in cash. You know, what can one penny do for me? One penny turns to two pennies, turns to four pennies, turns to eight. Like you, you play that out for a few days and it's still a pathetically low number compared to a million bucks. But when you compound that penny, when that penny doubles every day for a month, for 31 days, you end up with over $10 million in that example compared to the million dollars. Mm-hmm. And we can't even wrap our minds around that because we say, how can one penny go into two to four to eight? How, how can that possibly turn to over $10 million? That's the power of compounding. And now you're going to have a hard time finding any investment that's going to double in value every single day. But, but the principle still remains. If you can get started early and if you can put that penny or that dollar or that $100 or that $1,000 or whatever it is into something that's going to grow for you, that's huge. Because when you look at your financial plan, what you're going to start to see is your money is doing most of the work for you. 
you're not getting to 55 or 60 or 65 and saying, oh my gosh, I have all this work to make up. I better start adding all this money. If you just start with small amounts from the very beginning, it's incredibly powerful what that can do for you. And that can go to huge sums of numbers, numbers that most people can't even wrap their minds around because it seems like next next stratosphere almost in terms of what they can go to for them. Um, but understanding that's huge. And if you can do that from the beginning, you're going to be in a great spot. The second thing is compounding doesn't just apply to money. You know, I, I, was, I was fortunate enough to get in this industry from a young age. So I, I ran the financial calculators, and the projections, and I thought, wow, if I just start saying 50 bucks a month or 100 bucks a month or 1,000 bucks a month or whatever it is, I saw how powerful that was in terms of what that could do for me. But in my mind, I limited that just to money. I said, okay, that's, that's great. I can grow my investments or my 401ks or whatever it is. But as I've grown older, what I've seen is that compounds to everything in life. It compounds to your skill set. It compounds to relationships. It compounds to your health um, or applies to your health. It's all these things compound. And so for young people, so sometimes, sometimes people are so focused on savings and, and they're great and they get the compound interest side of the investment piece. But I say, apply that to your career too. Can you get a little bit better every day, a little bit better every month or every year? Well, your career trajectory is just going to go straight up because of that. That's going to compound. Can you apply that to your relationships? Can you apply that to your health? Can you apply that to everything? Because we, once you start to understand compounding, you just see it everywhere. And so I'd say for younger people, yes, get started early with investments, but also understand that that principle applies to everything in life. And the more you can improve just a little bit every single day or week or month, it's just going to lead to an amazing life full of opportunities for you. You know, I made that off-the-cuff comment earlier about don't rely on the Powerball. Uh, that's a societal issue we've got. I mean, people, we live in such a microwave society right now. Everybody wants it in the moment. Everybody wants to live it up right now. They don't understand, uh, especially, I mean, I, I got three kids. My Matter of fact, my oldest one is, is actually just a year younger than you are. And uh, she she finally gets it. Like, I I can't be more proud of, the, of her financial um understanding uh, my son is uh, when he graduates from college this semester is planning on following the same path you are as a financial planner he's pretty solid on that now, now my youngest child my youngest child is one of those in the moment kids you know she doesn't she she uh she hates this fellow named fica can't understand why he <laughs> takes all her money uh she she has no real plan for like years down the road it's all in the moment so uh that's why i was curious about advice you could give young people like the younger generations um so here here's another question i want to ask because i'm i'm curious you you have your finger on the pulse of the financial world um do you see what what are the largest external factors that figure into financial planning for example society around us um politics um you know who's who's in charge of what who's who's in power like in the white house or in in the um you know the congress what do you see things like that that um when you're advised let me ask it this way when you're advising somebody do things like that influence the way you and you give advisement to them I mean, because I know, for example, there's there's got to be issues with stocks and stuff like that that are, that are affected because of those external factors. So what how how do you do do you utilize that information as part of your plan when you're dealing with somebody directly? 
Sorry, didn't mean to ask that question for thirty minutes. I I couldn't really no, figure I, out how, I, I couldn't really figure out how I wanted to ask. <laughs> <laughs> the the answer is yes and no. So I'll explain both. Yes, in terms of okay, let, look at who's in office. That's going to impact things like tax legislation. Mm-hmm. Well, of course. So are, are there things you can do from a tax perspective? Because uh, whether it's how capital gains are taxed or incomes tax or things like that, there's going to be some tax strategy that says, do we do some things today? Um, to lower what taxes could be in the future? Or do we save more in taxes today to pay more? So yes, there's little nuanced things like that that aren't, I wouldn't say there's such big decisions that they're going to make or break someone's ability to retire. Mm-hmm. They're more, can we take where you are and make it better? Mm-hmm. Can we take where you are and, and, and absolutely maximize what you have? In terms of does who's in office impact stock market or your ability to plan or save, it's, it's a narrative that almost both sides tell themselves. But if you, if you, I'll just use an example. If you go back 120 years and had you only invested in the stock market when your political party of preference was in, in power, mm. you, in, in both cases, you had close to about a million dollars in your portfolio. If you just invested $10,000, hundred, not a long time ago, um, and, and I might be getting these exact numbers wrong, but it's somewhere, it's either you said a thousand or $10,000 and had you only done it when you're, party was in power, you ended up with a million dollars by the end of last year. So you put one time lump sum in, that, that's a pretty decent growth rate. Now, had you invested that same amount and left it invested while both parties were in power, it grew to $7 million. So we have this tendency to say, okay, I'm only going to invest when my party's in office, but statistically, there's almost no meaningful difference, whether it's a Republican in office or a Democrat in office. And it's, it's so funny because eight years ago, um, when President Obama was, was sworn in. I was getting, I would have been eight years, yeah, eight years ago, second term, um, was getting calls from, from conservative or Republican clients saying this is terrible for the market. We need to go to cash. And uh, the advice was not to, but some did. And they sat in cash while the market did nothing but go straight up. Then four years ago, when President Trump was sworn into office, liberal and Democrat clients calling saying this is terrible for America. This is terrible. We need to get, get out. We need to get the cash. Mm-hmm. Advise not to, but some did. In the market did nothing but go straight up mm-hmm. and it's just a little bit of a microcosm because that isn't just for trump and for obama i mean that's that's just been how the markets worked as a whole mm-hmm. and it's not because any one part or any one president was good for the market or bad for the market it's just because we're not investing in a president when you're investing in the market right i think what people it's it it's almost feels like you're putting your money into this vague thing what is the stock market it's like a gamble and it's better of a gamble and this party's in office and worse of a gamble and that. And you're investing in real companies. When you are investing in the stock market, you are owning the great companies of the world and they're going to find a way to be profitable. They're going to find a way to make money regardless of who's in office. And so one of the actual traps I see people making is they invest based upon their political preference and whether they're right, left, whatever it is, it's disastrous to their financial plan. You simply invested without kind of regard to who's in office, not saying it doesn't matter. It absolutely matters. And I don't want to make it seem like it says, oh, it doesn't matter. It's in office. It absolutely matters. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to investing, there's really not much difference. And it's because that's not what we're investing in. We're not investing in a president. We're not investing even in an economy. We're investing in real companies. And if you invest the right way, you're going to do just fine regardless of who's in office over time. Uh, I knew eventually you were going to get to what I, I, I was trying to clarify the narrative. You know, there's a lot of bias on both sides. That's why I want you to clarify the narrative. And that was an yeah. outstanding answer. I just want to 
Uh, and I, I hate to bring politics into any conversation I have on this show, but I, I do know that for me, for example, from the time I was a young guy, I had always been told that there's certain times to invest, you know, from a stock standpoint. And it had a lot to do with the whoever the political control, you know, at that point was. Right. So I'm glad you cleared, clarified that. So um, yeah. do you do you find yourself when you're, and I, it's probably a case-by-case case basis, but do you, like, do you see uh, a, a client, depending on their situation, you lean more heavily toward, uh, like, one type of investment over another? Because I know it's all about diversification of the portfolio, but do you, is it a case-by-case case basis, or do you personally... Uh, depending on the climate, you know, the societal climate at the time, do you see yourself leaning more toward one type of investment over another? Uh, it, to, to an extent, yeah, it's case by case. But in general, just to maybe overly simplify, you can invest in stocks, you can invest in bonds. Now, of course, there's other things like commodities, which is gold or other commodities like that, mm-hmm. or um, real estate. But in general, stocks and bonds are kind of the two main you call asset classes. So when you own a stock, you have ownership in a company. If I own stock in Apple, I'm an owner of Apple. Mm-hmm. So if Apple has revenue and profits and they're making money, well, great. I as an owner have a right to that as a stockholder. Now it's me and millions and millions of other people. So it's not like I'm an owner that I can make controlling decisions and attend meetings or anything like that. But I'm, I participate in that. Um, stocks over time historically have grown by 10% per year. If you just look at the S&P 500, which is just an index that says, how are the biggest 500 companies in America performing? Mm-hmm. But they've never actually averaged 10% per year, not once. They're, they're usually much higher or much lower. So they've been up as much as 40, 50% in a year. They've been down as much as 40, 50% in a year. And so that's an extreme amount of what you'd call volatility or uncertainty of, yes, you can get great long-term growth, but it's going to come with a whole bunch of ups and downs along the way. Bonds are different. If you have a bond, you're, you're lending your money to a company or to a government. So if I have a bond with Apple, I'm not owning the company. I'm lending my money to the company. And maybe they'll pay me 3%, 4%, 5% interest for some fixed period of time. And then they pay me my money back at the end. So bonds are seen as more stable, as more secure, because even if Apple stock price tanks 50, 60, 70%, they're still paying me the interest on my bond and paying me my money back as long as they're still in business. So they're seen as more secure, but they're not going to grow nearly as much over time. So I bring that up because yes, as you are, as you are investing, when you look at what stocks can do for you, if you just own all of them, and I'm just going to overly simplify, if you just own all of them, you don't have to own the right sectors or the right types or whatever. If you just own all stocks, you're going to do really well over time, but it's going to come with a whole bunch of ups and downs. So if you're retiring, let me back up. If, you, if, if you're 20 years old and just getting started, you don't care about that up, those ups and downs. That doesn't yeah. bother you. You're not living on that money. You should go probably more in stocks and very little, if anything, in bonds, You know, depending, of course, on risk tolerance and things like that. But if you're retired and you're 65 years old and you're now dependent upon this pot of money that you have, or this 401k that you have, or whatever it is, you might not want to have all that money in stocks because if stocks are down 40% in a year, which they very well could be, you're going to have to sell those stocks when they're down in order to create income for yourself. So that's where bonds might come into play. Do you have a little piece in bonds um, to supplement what you have in stocks? So I, I say this because it's not as if 
you know, William, you come to me and it's, hey, I think William should buy Apple. And, and I'm come, I'm looking at my own portfolio and oh, I should buy Amazon. And the next person comes to me and they say, oh, you should buy Bank of America. It's not like that. It's not like, okay, you should own these very different stocks or just different strategies based upon where you are. It's more about how do you engineer a portfolio that will help to get you all the growth that you need to get, but do so in a way that minimizes the risk of your specific plan. Maybe that risk is you're now living on your money. Maybe that risk is you want to retire soon or maybe that whatever it might be. So it's more engineering that mix of stocks to bonds. And then within that, what types of stocks and what types of bonds. And, and it goes back to that financial plan piece I said is so crucial. You need to understand how much of your portfolio do you need to take out each year to supplement your needs in retirement. And that should drive the decision of how much you have in stocks and bonds and the breakdown of that. So I don't know if that was too general that, or if that answers the question. No, I, I think it covered it well. Um, your clientele, do a lot of them come in during the headlights or do, or do does a majority of them come in and kind of have a plan? They just kind of need you to clean it up a little bit. Like they, they have a vision. They just kind of need you to give them a little direction. Or, or, or does the majority of them come in and go, I have no, this is what I've got. I don't know what to do with it. I need your help. So I, which... Mostly the first. Most people have no idea. And it's, it's, we're never taught finance. We're never taught how to manage money. We're never taught how to budget. Uh, it's something that you kind of have to learn as you go. Or, or if you're fortunate enough to have parents or a mentor of something, teach you how to do it. But no, we, we kind of have this impression that, okay, when people hit a certain level of investments, they're kind of a sophisticated investor. You know, the person who's just getting started, they don't know what they're doing. But when you've got the millions of dollars, you're a sophisticated investor and you know what you're doing. And it, it couldn't be farther from the truth is every, no one knows what they're doing. And it's, it's not a knock on people. It's just a knock on, we're never taught how to do this. So whether you're just getting started with your first thousand dollars or whether you have 10, $20 million, most people, and it, it, obviously there's some confidence, there's it's just some bias here because these are the people that are reaching out. So if someone totally knew what they were doing, um, they probably wouldn't be reaching out to me in the first place. But a lot of people, whether they've got a thousand dollars, a hundred thousand, a million, 10 million, they, they come to me and it's, I'm either I'm just going to start or I've done really, really well, but I have no idea what this can do for me. And I need to know how can I manage this better? So most people um, feel a little silly or kind of weird coming in and say, don't like no, no one knows this stuff. No, we're never taught this stuff. Don't, don't get down on yourself because you didn't do this 20 years ago or because you made that mistake 10 years ago or because you've never put a plan in place. It's no one has, everyone's in the same boat. It's all about understanding where are you today? Can we get you from where you are today to where you want to be in the future with a plan? And once people do that, I mean, the main benefit of this isn't that your 401k is growing more. It isn't that you've saved some money on taxes with a good financial plan. It's the peace of mind and the confidence that you have of knowing, wow, this is no longer scary for me. This is no longer overwhelming for me. I can see clearly what my money can do for me. And that brings a huge amount of clarity and confidence when people have that plan. I was just curious how many came in kicking themselves that they didn't buy Microsoft when it was in penny stocks, that kind of stuff. So, <laughs> I made I made, I made mistakes too, and if we could all go back in time, we would redo them. But do you? Uh, how how long have you actually been in the industry? Uh, it will be ten years this June. So ten years. You're an expert. You you can call yourself an expert if you if you have a dedicated decade. I'm, you're an expert. So are you that guy? Are you the one that is so invested into your service that you sit in front of the computer and you track stock movement and you you you're always constantly checking the commodities market and 
uh, you know, what, what kind of movement the bonds are making. I mean, are you that guy or are you, you stay just connected enough that you, you're not influenced by that movement that much? You, you understand what I'm saying? Because sometimes you, you see movement and it convinces you a direction you need to go, but then in your gut, you're like, I, I just don't see, I don't, I don't see this being a long-term trend. I don't want to advise my clients, you know, to go this route. And then you, you see what I'm saying? I, wh yeah. Which one are you? Which guy are you? Um, I'm the guy that's in front of clients on the planning side, engineering a plan, customizing a plan, because what you start to see is you get into this business or you look at finance, and you think it's all about following the trends or identifying mm -hmm. the next Microsoft or the next Apple. And, right. you, and you think that is what, that's how you get to a successful outcome. And what you start to see is we're at a point where, yeah, 60, 70, 80 years ago, when information wasn't so widespread and when you could have a leg up on the competition, if you could get in front of a trend faster than the next person or if you had information the next person didn't have, you could outperform the market. You could do better than the market. But what we have today is information is so freely accessible. I have my iPhone here, and I can access the same information here that the person in Wall Street can access on their terminal immediately. And when you have so many people that are so well compensated trying to outperform the market and so many people can trade stocks from their Robinhood app or their Schwab app or their Fidelity app, you almost get this equilibrium. I don't want to say fair value price because the market can be wrong and it's, it's definitely wrong. But if you just look, it's, it is usually right, I should say, and it is wrong at times. But if you try to outperform that, you look at the last 20 years. If anyone could outperform the market, if anyone could identify the trend and pick the next Microsoft and do, it's going to be Wall Street. It's going to be the people that are the most well compensated, that have the most access to information, that the most analysts working for them. That would be who could outperform the market if anyone could. But over the past 20 years, it's only something like 19% of Wall Street funds have outperformed a simple unmanaged index. So it's like if the people staring at those graphs all day long, if the people who have millions and millions of dollars behind them trying to identify the next trend or the next Microsoft or the next whatever it is, if they can't buy and sell the right stocks at the right time to time the market, then then why would anyone try? Instead, why don't we simply own the market? And this isn't this isn't saying, hey, just give up full just and walk away. It's saying, no, just own the market. If you own the market, you're probably going to do a lot better than the people who are trying to outperform the market. So I'm not here looking at trends, looking at things. I, I'm kind of look, I'm sitting here understanding the power of markets, understanding that with free markets and with the ability to trade and to have information immediately priced into stocks and bonds and other investments, we don't need to be in front of a computer all day because the market's going to take care of itself. That's going to happen. I need to be in front of clients all day long saying, how much do you need to save? How much longer do you need to work until you retire? How much can you safely spend? Do we need to do a rebalance? What parts of the market do you need to be invested in? Is it U.S. companies or international companies or small companies at large, international, domestic? Um, so it's those types of questions on the planning side that are far more important than what's the latest trend or what's the latest stock, just because those tend to not be anything that we can count on long term. It's more about understanding how do markets work over time and how do we take advantage of that in our planning. All right, a uh, couple quick ones, and then we'll let you get out of here. Twitter-style response, 140 characters or less, day traders. What's your, what's your feeling on day traders? Uh, wasting their time and money. 
Uh, outstanding. <laughs> All right, and uh, the last one would be, what's the one stock or the one piece of financial uh, prosperity, let's call it, that you stumbled across in the last 10 years that, that you look back and go, man, that was that was I was really fortunate or I was really lucky like what did you we were we were joking about Microsoft and penny stocks have you stumbled across something like that in your 10 years the the first and this might be a little more than 140 characters I apologize in advance the first <laughs> investment I ever had I got for high school graduation I bought it and it was a stock that was going to outperform the market and then 2008 hit and it just tanked oh. and I thought okay it, it showed me something. It showed me this, these companies that tell a great story and these companies that say, hey, we can outsmart the market and beat the market and all this stuff. It's just that. It's just a great story. And so when that tanked, what I realized is, okay, it's not about it's, – it's just about owning everything. It's not about trying to time the market. It's about how much time do I have in the market? How can I take advantage of that? So I, I buy individual stocks kind of with my play account, but all of my long-term stuff, all my stuff that I'm actually counting on – is in well-diversified index funds, mutual funds, ETFs that have nothing to do with trying to buy an individual stock. Um, I have my gamble money, my fund money that does that, but I don't expect that to perform better than what I have in my more long-term diversified stuff. He's talking about extra money, Lester. He, he didn't mean gamble. He didn't mean like go to the casino. <laughs> so, um, hey, I... I, I can't thank you enough, man. This has been one of the most informative, like, 40 minutes that I've had in a long while. I'm just an old guy that's not prepared for retirement. And when I got an opportunity to sit down and talk with you, I wanted to hear what I wanted to hear your fresh perspective. Like I said, I saw your profile picture. You looked like you were about 19 years old. I said, this young guy might can teach me something, and hopefully he can teach my listeners something. So, uh, hey, before you get out of here, Share with everybody where they can find you. You were talking about some some possible templates that you could you they could acquire. Tell us about all that kind of stuff, okay? Yeah. So th and, and thanks for having me, William. I I have a podcast called Ready for Retirement, and so what I do is I take the the tips or the strategies or the things that I find most impactful for my clients, and I do an episode on each one. So Ready for Retirement is the show. Tons of great tips and strategies, and just more in depth information on what we're talking about here today. So people can subscribe to that wherever they listen to their podcast. And then my company is Root Financial Partners. If anyone has specific questions or um, things that can't be answered just a podcast episode, feel free to reach out there. All my contact information information will be on that, but rootfinancialpartners.com. And then again, the podcast is ready for retirement. That's outstanding, man. James, I can't thank you enough. Um, any Any last nugget of wisdom for my listeners before you get out of here? Oh, man. Uh, plan. It's 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 all about having a plan. It's not about having the right amount of money or the right four hundred one k. The right that's all great, but you need a plan, just like with anything in life, and that's that's what makes all the difference. And a guy that'd be really good to help you with his plan, James Canole, San Diego, California. All right, thanks <laughs> Root a lot, Financial. And as always, guys, Wally out. Hey guys, this is William with World of Wally. If you guys played the third tree in your third grade play, or if you played Hamlet in your college production, if you think you're a rising star in the industry, or you want to be the rising star in an industry, or you're a podcaster looking for a rising star in the industry, check out Steve Joyner, guys, SJ Network. You can reach him at stevesjnetwork at gmail.com. He will put you together with the people that you need to be successful. 
So remember guys, stevesjnetwork at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. This podcast is part of the SJ Network. Go to s-j-network.com for more great podcasts and for contact information on publicist Steve Joyner.